0: Hello and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we will be continuing our discussion on Funeral for Flaca by Emily Prado. This episode, we will be discussing our top and favorite moments in the second portion of the essay collection. Hey, guys. Nice, nice <laughs> intro. Oh, thank you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> nice intro. Um, yeah, so today we're going to start Looking into the second half of the book, um, we have quite a few things we want to mention. I know in the first part, we kind of went chapter by chapter. Um, this time, we're just going to kind of pick different places from the book, different strong lines, um, maybe talk a little bit about the song choices, um, and see how that goes. <laughs> that sounds good to you all. Yeah. All right, so we're starting um, with track seven or around that area. I think we talked started talking a little bit about this last time. Um, so rich, so pretty. And how this is kind of the transitional point in the book in adolescence where um, Emily discusses her um, eating disorder, how that started, and um, <clears throat> She's 14 at this point. Um I did have a couple of lines here that stood out to me. Um and then Vanessa, if you want to jump in with anything that um that you like to say about this chapter, but uh for me I really uh, appreciated how real and how raw she got in this chapter. Mm. Um she does discuss something that just is really relatable to any, you know, woman um, reading this book can really relate to. On page 66, she says, I'm reminded of the impending doom that is a woman's body. Um, which, again, is is really real and just the attention to um, what she refers to as impending doom, which might to some people sound... Like, it's being extra or, you know, dramatic in some way. But um, Mm -hmm. to a lot of us, especially at that age, right, 13, 14, Mm -hmm. around that age where it's all about image and it's all about body and it's Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the changes. And and she's already kind of led up to that in the book with brands and, Mm -hmm. you know, the image that she's portraying and who she wants to be and trying to find that identity. And, And so here... You know, in the middle of the book, she's um, guiding the reader to the nickname Flaca and how Flaca was such a huge part of that identity.
3: Mm. I, I mean, so, and that's interesting because the frame, the context behind that statement there is kind of what's written by her mother, right? Telling her better enjoy it while it lasts. And and mm. uh, we talked about this previously in part one, I'm discussing the first part of the book where she was talking about uh, eating chips as a, as a kindergartner, right? Mm. And uh, we didn't, I mean, it's not said, but we were, we were saying that somebody probably mentioned it, right? Same thing, like about yeah. how she was a little self-conscious of eating more mm-hmm. than the boys or whatever. And so you see it here, mm-hmm. straight up said by her. So mm. in that context.
0: I think also touching on the something that I really related to um, on page 70, she says, um, I come to realize that as a size three, fitting into my friend's zero or one jeans is going to be difficult. Um, and then later it says the pull-up motion. So her friends end up barring her jeans as well, or trying to, but they're bigger on them. Um, so it says the pull-up motion is singular, and. Un- and unsavory pockets of air appear everywhere making them unwearable. I don't know. I that's something that I really relate to, um especially at that age because girls do share a lot of clothes, like uh, like I don't know. I don't anymore, but like at that age,
2: mm-hmm.
0: especially it was definitely bigger than my friends, I think, or at least curvier. So it was something that I was kind of like, "Oh wait, okay, it's not just me." <laughs> So that was that was nice to read, I think. Yeah.
1: It just brought to mind that movie, The Sisterhood of the mm, Pants. Yeah. stupid the whole idea yeah. is that, like, all those women <laughs> different sizes yeah. could fit into the same pair of jeans. Well, I mm-hmm.
3: thought they were, they're not magic. I thought that was, like, the... I've never <laughs> seen it. I, I, it. I so I, I, I think they like, are, but like a, even like still... <laughs> like, <seen laughs> like a, the world of wizardry kind of, like, oh, yeah. they change sizes according to...
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, but in reality, back on planet Earth, <laughs> <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> that would never, could never, and so yeah, it it does kind of bring to mind that like mm-hmm. whole sharing of oh, I love your shirt, but, oh, it doesn't fit me, it doesn't look the same mm-hmm. on me, and then mm-hmm. you become so much more conscious or aware of your own body and your own yeah. curves, and
2: mm-hmm. for sure,
1: definitely. Um, yeah, I I also wrote in my notes like. How the disorder started, and, and I put in quotes innocently enough, um, because mm-hmm. she does say like it, it kind of started by accident that she was skipping meals or she was. I think she starts the chapter that way. Yeah. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I began starving myself by accident and then purposely, you know, skipping breakfast because she didn't want to be tardy to class.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I guess that's what I mean by innocently or she had good intentions behind. You know, skipping meals, mm. not knowing that it was going to result in, you know, this this thing that she was going to have to live with for the rest of her life, um, and and I think that's important to note because it's not it's not always going to look the same way, and um, you know, everyone is dealing with their own demons their own way, right? So, an mm-hmm. eating disorder might look like this to some person, and the next person, it's going to be completely different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I think also, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, I think later in that same chapter, I guess, um, it's about having control. So she's controlling. She feels like her life doesn't have as much control as she would like it to, and in that sense, this is something that she can control. Um, and then on, so on page seventy nine. She says, I will choose to keep waiting. My lifestyle is now a choice I can make. So I I think that that's something that's really important. I think. Yeah, I don't.
1: Yeah, no, I really like that, um, that you brought that up, Vanessa. Um, I underline that part, too. Mm -hmm. Just because it does seem like she's wanting to take control and have power in this one sense or more agency, but. Um, she's still so young and still trying to figure out like how to navigate all of these different parts of her identity. Mm -hmm. This just happens to be one of them. And it happens to be something that a lot of young women experience and men too, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's why it makes it harder for her to figure out like, okay, controlling this certain aspect can have its own, I don't know what the word is, like, Um, it can be more detrimental Mm. to you in the long run. Mm -hmm. But at this point, she's like, I'm taking control. Yeah. And she Mm -hmm. feels empowered by it.
0: Yeah.
1: I guess that's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. And she does mention here the pro-anon community. Um, Mm. She talks a little bit about finding community and other people who felt the same way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: um or who had eating disorders at well you know as well and and were kind of validating her wanting to be thinner and mm-hmm. her idolizing these size 0 celebrities and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so yeah. kind of going back to her identity and being a student and no longer thinking about gpas but now she's thinking about the numbers like on her waistline mm, yeah size of her jeans mm-hmm.
3: yeah i mean you mentioned the numbers at the very end of that track right she talks about the mm-hmm. she used to ask about my gpa now she asked about my my weight focusing on the numbers mm-hmm. wait is that what you were saying it's yeah. that's because Val he distracted me. Sorry.
0: No, that's you are okay. on, the right, uh, yes. on the right, page. No, that's exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm like, man, I should have locked the door. I knew it. <laughs>
0: okay. No.
4: My
3: bad. My bad. <laughs> well, I already have one edit to make.
4: Out. Okay. Out.
3: You were supposed to. I know.
1: I'm sorry. I know. We're just like I froze. <laughs> I was mid sentence. So I just like kept going. Yeah. Um. Okay. <laughs> next time. Next time. I got you. <laughs> Is there anything else that, um, you want to say about this chapter, this section? Mm-mm. Okay. Um, I didn't have anything track for eight. track eight. I don't know if you wanted to mention anything for that. Yeah,
0: I mean, first of all, I really like this song. So when Are you gonna give it up to me by Sean Paul? It's Sean de Paul. Sean de Paul. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. Oops. How does he say it? I Sean de Paul. No, that sounds like please edit this out. I'm I'm
3: gonna keep this in. Oh
0: no. That's why I never say this. That's the best part about being the editor. I get I
3: get to choose what's out and what stays. It's like, do you like to listen to Sade? (laughs) Oh no. That's, it happens. That's fine. That's, that not, one's that different. that's not as embarrassing that as different. me trying to say <laughs> <laughs> How again?
2: No. Yo, I have it recorded, so. I <laughs> know. I'm going to save it. I'm you just kidding.
3: It. No, I'm going to edit. We have a lot of editing to do already. Nice job.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> just kidding. No, you can't leave. I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> <I really> don't. <laughs> like, anyway. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, so something that I really liked about this. One in particular is that she mentions a lot of statistics that I think um, she feels like she has the possibility of falling into, and I think that are, in a sense, stereotypical of Latina women. Um, so the first one, right when she starts this um, essay, it says, did you know one in three Latinas will become pregnant before the age of 20? Um and that one I kind of related to this other book that I mentioned in the first episode, um, The Death and Life of Aida Hernandez. Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
0: because I was reading this one, this essay around the same time I was reading that book. Um, and Aida does happen to become pregnant in high school. So like I was like, oh, okay, so there's like a connection there that I was able to make. Um I'm not sure how accurate it is. It's something we should probably look into. <laughs> um yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, And then on the following page, some other, I guess, statistics that she names are of being a brown girl. She says, um, all my life I've been dodging the shitty statistics of being a brown girl in America. Most likely to be a dropout. Most likely to, to attempt suicide. Most likely to do drugs. Most likely to become a teen mom. And then she says how she's already achieved two of those. Um... Yeah, I think it's really interesting to have all of these different statistics and look at them as myself um, and, like, check off, like, which ones I've done. Um, Yeah, I don't – it's just – I think that that's really interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. I just did a quick Google search. (laughs) And it's (laughs) more than half, 53% of Latinas in the United States become pregnant at least once before age 20.
2: Hmm.
1: So that has changed since she was right because she's talking about sex ed mm-hmm. in this chapter yes mm-hmm. how she was just like scared straight you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with um, her sex ed class and there, all that but um yeah, I think that's a that's an important um question and something to think about definitely um as being part of that demographic and how how many of those have we like dodged and
2: you mm-hmm. know can
1: we are mm-hmm. we counted in some of these other statistics and mm-hmm. um it's also nice to look at you know the statistics of how many have a college degree right and like yeah. it isn't just like Latinas who are pregnant or Latinas who
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know drop out of high school or yeah. all that all the, the negative statistics out there.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. It also makes me just think here in El Paso, like, um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Iris Lopez, uh, Mihai, yes, you can,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, who, you know, I was listening to a podcast that she was on and she she brought up a really good point, you know, because considering these statistics, you know, one of the, one of the things that people always like to rag on are all the single moms in El Paso mm-hmm. and, um, you know, on this podcast, she, she made a point to say like, you know, why, why do we have to frame it like this, you know, and we should be mm-hmm. a little bit more critical. So mm-hmm. on your end of like also thinking more positive statistics,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, there's this thing very much cultural thing and then i pass it to kind of like mock this, but remember that there's also men in that equation too, that mm-hmm. either have, or well, there, or like, unfortunately just kind of abandoned or left or, you know, yeah. um, so, you know, a lot of real things here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. She's on the news, right? Yes. Like that's her day job.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and Miha, yes, you can. You can follow on social media, but they do some pretty great work. And they're relatively new, mm-hmm. um, a new org. But yeah, I like that. I like the shifting the focus. Like there's a reason why they're single moms, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, where are the dads? But if you hear any of like the stand-up <laughs>
3: comedians or just sure, any sure. social media posts, like it loves to rag on that. So it's just and it's I think you're right about yeah. the the mm-hmm.
1: whole El Paso thing too. It's like El Paso um gets a bad rap for stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely more to that. Um, there's more to you know, these women and just like with Emily in the book there there was more to her yep mm-hmm. um, but she was like Vanessa when when Vanessa was reading this right like you were thinking about how you fit into this and mm-hmm. so i think that's important right to to take a step back and evaluate reevaluate and just it's something that's never going to end we're constantly going to be always placing ourselves in these boxes or in these mm-hmm. demographics in these statistics cuz that's just how it is mm-hmm. um but what what can we do with that, right? With that knowledge or can we step out of it? Can mm-hmm. we do more? And the answer is yes. Yes, yes <laughs> it yes, is. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Perfect. <laughs> That's what I tell my students and then they just look at me with blank stares. I feel like you <clears throat> can
3: tell them anything and they'll, they'll be like that. I know.
1: <laughs> it's like, are you all even awake? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I've never seen anybody sleep with their eyelids open. but. <laughs> I believe it. I
4: know.
3: <laughs> so that's track eight, right? hmm Yes.
1: hmm Yeah. She, um, I put in my notes here, she also talks a little bit about um, a toxic re- uh, relationship she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of just leads into the next tracks, the next chapters where um, we get to see a little bit more of her relationships. Um, so track nine, Por Que Me Haces Llorar, it's a Juan Gabriel track.
4: Mm. Yes. One-ga. I love this song.
1: <laughs> you have to. You have to put Juan Gabriel in your playlist. <laughs> so shout out to Emily for <laughs> putting some Juan Gabriel in there. <laughs> um, so I had a few pages um, highlighted for this track. Um, I really like that it starts kind of lively, not lively. I don't know if that's the word, like, but at the second paragraph, she says, if it takes us 22 minutes to enter a party, it takes at least two times longer to leave when we make the rounds again, because more adults have inevitably arrived and the alcohol makes way for the truer, blunter, lengthier, lengthier things they want to get off their minds. Like, why don't we come around more often? Or if we know our puppy loves us. Mm. <laughs> Um, And then she, like, continues in that next page kind of talking about the different rules um, that her family has, rules that she's learned, um, you know, being a part of a big family. Um, So I really like that. I mean, I related a lot to it. You come from a big Mexican family, and you (laughs) ever go to those parties, (laughs) like— it's impossible to say hi to everyone or to say bye to everyone in, like, less than five minutes. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no way. Uh, I really like that. Um, in the, at the end of that section before the break, she says, uh, other rules I've learned. Don't talk back. Asking questions is talking back. Don't cry. That's talking back. <laughs> say please and thank you. Repeat these with a smile if someone else decides you. Sound insincere." Dress for parties with a full-body commitment. You'll be judged by the smoothness of your hair to the colored polish of your toenails to the slimness of your waistline and everything in between. Men are heads of the house and can do as they please. Our women aren't afraid to physically fight, even at family parties, and only cry when you can blame the tequila or corridos. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I really like that Mm. because it just captures. And we know that it's her Mexican family, but it's also... Power makes me family. So I love that.
3: Yeah.
0: Did you have anything
1: yeah, from that, this
0: section? Yeah. Um, so I had two lines that I wanted to talk about. Um so on page 98, um one line that really stood out to me that I think is really important, I think, and that just like in terms of when Families split up and then there's other siblings that are now introduced to the family. Um, So she's having a conversation with her father. And she says, well, he says to her, don't you think it's not fair that this baby would get part of the house I bought to leave to you and your sister and brother? And I feel like, so she's like a young teenager at this time. And I think that's a really unfair question to ask someone of that like. Of that age, um, especially after he chose to leave and have another kid. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought that that was, like, a really tough question to ask her. Especially, especially. at
1: that age, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think that's that's super – when I read that line, I, it made me so mad. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, really, guy? Like – after all the stuff you did mm-hmm. and put them through and you still, like, you know, are able to ask a question like mm-hmm. that, um, which is is a question you ask just for the response. You, you want a response from that. You want yeah. a reaction from her. Mm-hmm. You want her to validate right. you, right? Mm-hmm. Which is already crappy in a, in a million other ways, but I think it... I don't know. Ap- after reading it a couple of times, I'm like, I kind of appreciate that she just put that in there and mm-hmm. let us feel those feelings instead of mm-hmm. saying, you know, I couldn't believe that my dad would ask me this. I'm 14 years old. Or, you know, yeah. like those kinds mm-hmm. of, um, I don't know, like.
3: No commentary, just commentary, left it up right? There. She just
1: left the sentence <clears> because she knows that asking that sentence and saying, this is what my dad asked me. Mm-hmm. is going to is going to get that reaction from the reader if you're following along if you're you know yeah rooting for Emily which we are at this point always yeah. have been
2: right mm-hmm. yeah
1: i think that's a i don't know i kind of wish i would have asked her there's a few things in here, and I'm like, man, I wish we would have asked her this. But
3: yeah, mm, right, always yeah, afterwards.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those things, right? Yeah. Like, um,
3: maybe we'll have a chance to interview her. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. No, we already interviewed her. I guess we should just say that that's coming up next. But yes. uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, someone did ask her at the. The reading at Casa Ortiz, something about like her relationship with her father, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And yes. she said we're still kind of a little estranged and this and that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's smart
3: mm-hmm.
1: on on her end as a writer to mm-hmm. know the weight that that is going to carry. Yeah. To
3: leave it like that, yeah, yeah. absolutely, great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also I do have that film so I'll, I'll probably release that somewhere like on YouTube yeah. so people can check it out. Yeah. Uh, as a reading with with Emily and uh Chris Muñoz. Um in this track yeah um I actually wanted to point out on uh, page 97 just before mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> I think Emily has a pretty pretty great paragraph here talking about the nature of truth and how mm-hmm. we navigate new information that we uncover and of course mm-hmm. with her family and just all this information. I, I just think that with the nature of this genre, as you know, memoir to essay, I think it's a, a pretty, pretty great paragraph. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> how'd you say it? I, I love the whole paragraph. So, I'm just going to read it. Um, I'm still learning to become a better detective. I can keep track of all the lies of my family, sometimes even my own. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned more about my dad through whispers and hiding than from my dad himself our foundational truths are always cracking. When yet another truth is revealed, my brain has to arrange and rearrange the stories anew. I think my memories look like freeze frames superimposed on translucent cards. Sometimes a simple shuffling of the files of chronology is in order, other times I think my brain tries to patch newly burned holes, or maybe my brain decides sometimes the easiest path forward is to shatter ones altogether. I reread my diary entries and see my obsession with truth is one of few constants. I wonder how long my ability to detect lies has been lacking. I wonder if I will ever relearn how to listen to my gut. Mm. I think it's a nice moment of meta awareness of the nature of truth and memory as well here, but also, you know, how do you manage the information? What do you make with it? I think she has a great way of describing it, but also mm. calling out like this, just this idea of, Letting intuition take over too as well in your life instead of being obsessed with how she says truth here.
2: Mm.
3: So, so I just wanted to give a shout out to that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. There's there's a lot about truth and withholding information too. Mm-hmm. Like she talks about mommy's secrets, her own secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, in this chapter as well. So and so there's a lot of callbacks to what we've discussed about memory. Um, I really like how she ends this track, um with a little anecdote about how her mommy outsmarted her dad with the house. So I really love that. Um, kind of going back to um being a single mother and all of the struggles that that already comes with, but yet her mother was able to. Mm -hmm. to keep the house and, um, you know, make a name for her, for herself, not Mm -hmm. to depend on Emily's father.
3: Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Also maybe as a, I might edit this, edit this out in case it's not an issue, but if you guys do hear a little bit of background noise, we are, the studio that we're recording in is a very active creative space. And a little bit Sometimes schedules con- Conflict And so we have a, a theater group Called Los Actores That are meeting Right now to practice So no By the way if it is just not sound intense No one's arguing They're practicing For a play <laughs> um, You might You might not hear Anything really But you might hear A little rumbling Here and there So just a mm-hmm. A little disclaimer uh, As I'm editing this And I don't hear it As bad I'll probably just Edit this out <laughs> <laughs> Anyway <laughs> My bad <laughs>
1: I know, no, that's good because I sometimes hear them projecting, and I'm like, are they louder than me?
3: But no, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> Speaking of projection, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> bad joke. Bad joke. Speaking of projection,
1: okay. so, um, so, and you will always bring me flowers. Um, in this chapter, this track, um, Emily's twenty-one. So we've already jumped a few years ahead. Um, she's graduated with a bachelor's. She graduated early and with honors, um, which is noteworthy because we've been reading all about her struggles in school and mm. especially middle school. And so now she's graduated. And and so if you think back to, like, statistics and all of that, um, she's doing well for herself. But... Um, I I think that that's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it starts off like, okay, we're happy for her, you know, she's doing so well, but then this chapter talks about her unraveling and having this moment, this period in her life where she, I guess, just unravels and, and it leads to her being admitted to a psych ward um, and being diagnosed with bipolar disorder one. Um, so I have a few lines that I, that I underlined, but I mean, I, I basically just wanted to give a little bit of that background. And since now we're jumping ahead, maybe like seven, eight years um, from the previous chapter. I don't know if you wanted to
0: add anything to that before we get to... Um, I mean, there's a few things that I that stood out to me. Um, so she talks about, like, these vision, visions that she has. Um, and I kind of reflected on that and said, wait a minute. I have those visions. <laughs> and I got kind of scared because... Um, so one of the ones that she mentions um, on page 105... Uh, oh, going into 106, actually... She says, I pictured a violent fiery car crash. I saw a stead tumbling inside the S- the SUV as it rolled over and over in slow motion. I thought it was a premonition. I really believed I had the power to see the future. I put my I put on my seatbelt and told my friends to do the same. Mm. Um, in my case I've always called them like daydreams. <laughs> but um yeah, like just like really scary things that are happening, like but they're not happening and they mm-hmm. haven't happened. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, that was something that stood out to me. Um, something else that stood out to me is that she begins to question her sexuality in this one as well. Um, not necessarily um, turning away from men, but, like, questioning, like, oh, wait, am I actually also into women? Mm-hmm. Um And I think it's interesting the way that she explores that because um, she talks about how she has like these fantasies with women in a sense. Um, And she just assumed that every girl did this as well. Um, But then she comes to realize that that's not the case. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I thought that that was really interesting the way that she explored that. I
1: think going off of that Vanessa like on on 107.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's important to note also like the thought process there because if you're if you're not if you don't outright say like I'm queer or I'm this or I'm that if you're mm-hmm. still kind of trying to figure it out there's everything that people have said about being queer that you can mm-hmm. go off of or what you've seen on tv or whatever and so i think she explores that here cuz she says <laughs> in a lot of places you know i thought normal straight girls did and i thought this and mm-hmm. i um and she says and how i'd still think for many years i was just straight on account of my dating history i also thought how maybe it was a little bit different like so it's a lot about her thought process like well, i mm-hmm. thought this is how it was but this is how i feel or this is what i think about or this yeah. is what i fantasize yeah. you know mm-hmm. So I think that that's important, too, to just make note of, like, um, again, that it's not just, like, something that's black and white or that you know immediately. or It might be for some people, right? Um, mm-hmm. But for others, it might be about the exploration, like mm-hmm. you said. right? Yeah. So she does definitely um, bring that up here. And I really like how she ends that passage. Eventually, I will come out in writing on Twitter each year on hashtag Day. And maybe also tucked deep into a book I write. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: nice. I think that was it for me on this. I mean, there's a lot that can yeah. be said in mm-hmm.
3: this. These uh, as she gets older, these start to get so much more dense.
2: Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I
3: mean, I think again appreciate it. You mentioned that too, an episode ago, how mm-hmm. the voice changes yeah. and, and her experiences, what she's aware of, the, her her thoughts, mm-hmm. her her musings, and so on. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eleven. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nothing came out. The moldy Mm -hmm. peaches.
3: You had a line right there that you liked, Vanessa? Um,
0: I mean, I have a few. Okay. For track Um, eleven. Yeah, but I think the one that I want to talk about the most is on the last page of that essay, on 118. Hmm.
4: Um.
0: So she's reflecting on this relationship that she's had with Dale. Um, and then right before the end of it, she says, I learned I was ready to move on, be done, be healed. This was the second time I knew I would always love Dale and that us not being together was something I'd be okay with. And this one, especially this essay especially, is dealing a lot with closure and her coming to terms with even though this relationship taught her a lot and she was able to grow a lot that it was time to like also move on from it um and earlier she says this chapter of my life had indeed come to a close
4: huh.
0: um and i think that that's something that's kind of important to realize um like just because you enjoy company of this person or they have been there for you in the past that doesn't necessarily always mean that they're good for you or that you're good for them um and that sometimes you have to do like split apart from this person in Mm -hmm. order to continue to grow and heal yeah Feel personally oh, attacked fair. right now, but okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, <laughs> you
3: know that's interesting because, like, no, to me, straight
1: facts. <laughs> <laughs> straight,
3: hashtag <street> facts. <laughs> Um, I do think it's interesting the the juxtaposition of the very next page, one nineteen, all that page mm, is super dope. Yeah, you know, I was I was digging that vibe. She's she's saying you know the. First of all, quote, Dixie Chicks, right? <laughs> you see, time heals everything, but I'm still waiting mm-hmm. to this whole, like, I wanted it to be this. I wanted it to be this. I wanted it to be that. I wanted it to be that. Mm. It could have been this and kind of drawing up yeah. this whole idea of the, the bootstraps thing. And ultimately just admitting that, my, but my story will never be about bootstrapping. My story is not simple, nor easy, nor resolved by just being strong. Mm. I love mm-hmm. the, all right, Cool. Yeah yeah it's a nice like uh, way to move on like next like all right I see editing ways right not just yeah. time wise, but like all right mm-hmm. here we go. moving forward.
1: yeah okay, yeah, that's a good point, yeah, especially if you're reading these like one after the other mm-hmm. you read the you read the closure one you're like okay, close a chapter on that on mm-hmm. that book and now mm-hmm. here's this like self-aware Emily more, super like, self-aware which I now.
3: love so much mm-hmm. really cool. yeah good point.
1: Yeah, it's a big shift for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I know I had a, a couple lines. Yeah. Actually, a lot here.
3: I see that. I see that. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I like that here. I mean, this is more like recent and in the past few years. And she's talking about like what you said, Richie, and um, how she became an intern at Bitch Media, um, and this is, you know, she talks a little bit about or a lot of it about mm-hmm. sexual assault mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: in this chapter um, and, and kind of just how it unfolded. So uh-huh. I, I um, appreciated the honesty in that, but also just how in, in an instant it almost felt like that happened and... She wasn't aware of it, and if we're reading along with her, we're we're kind of not aware of it either, mm. until it happens. Um, and it it's not one of those you know like portrayals of rape that you would see, you know, the man forcing himself on the woman mm. um, in a movie or something like that. It's a lot more. Complex, complex, almost like smooth in the way that he was doing it. Like, mm. and I think she mentions this too, like how charming he was, mm. and and mm-hmm. she knew that that was like something he was using against her. Anyway, I, I, you know, it's it's when you're reading it, you kind of have a sense that that's going to happen, and hoping mm-hmm. that it doesn't but um it's not always you know just like a forcing upon or um that drastic in the beginning I guess I don't know if that makes any sense
2: mm-hmm.
3: no and it, it causes a lot of people to doubt themselves if they feel violated in some way and
2: mm-hmm.
3: think about well what what is does that mean or what does it have to be? Like and and sometimes people just think of the the most extreme drastic thing, but it doesn't have to Mm
2: -hmm. be.
0: And she talks a lot about that in this essay as well. Um just saying that she didn't feel like she could call it rape. Um and that it Mm -hmm. took her a while to be able to recognize Mm -hmm. that it was. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
1: that's a good point too. And just a lot of the the language and, and the things that a lot of people I think can relate to like her saying, you know, I I didn't want to come off as a bitch. Right. Mm. Like, I think that's, that's another thing. I know. I know. That's, that's another thing that, you know, women have to deal with. It's like, I think you mentioned this too, Richie, maybe last time, I don't know if it was pre-show or during show, but, um, how like sometimes women, will bring up the boyfriend right away even if they don't have a boyfriend because it's a way of like smoothing or like softening the blow Mm. also
3: like a stiff arm and that for what whack-ass reason like why can't we
1: just say men will
3: men will accept that yeah instead of just no it has has to be like another guy involved like what Mm. you know
1: Like oh okay yeah 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 Yeah, that's a whole other conversation but (laughs) but that line where she says you know and i didn't want to come off as a bitch kind of also just reminded mm-hmm. me of that, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's a lot about her maintaining her image or being nice or like, you know, not... Mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt his ego, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Anyway.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's a that. lot. No, it packs yeah, a lot. Like there. there's a lot packed in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: And I think that was, that was Herman, right? Mm-hmm. And then later she brings up Curtis. So these are the two instances of assault um, that Emily talks about in her book. And um, I think, uh, unless you have something else you want to mention, um, Vanessa Ritchie. Richie, I, at the end of this um, section, and it's a long track, a long chapter, um, she does talk about what I put in my note as like the fallout from the call outs, <laughs> why so many are ashamed or afraid to speak out, mm-hmm. which I think is also super important.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and not like she had to do that, right? Like Emily could have just given her experience, talked about this and that was it. But But I think she purposely did that because she knows that there are others like her who maybe couldn't name it, who couldn't say like you know or or this was my experience but well, it's not that bad or and mm. eh, just happened once or eh, whatever for whatever reason they're excusing it or not wanting to come forward because of all the backlash right um which is very real so um you know the fact that even if you do come out rehash this trauma like Emily did um you're, you could be deemed like brave. Um, your accuser might get punished. Mm. Um, but you might still not feel any different Mm. after the Mm. fact. And that's a very real, very possible, um, thing, you know, just to expect those questions like, well, why did you wait so long? Which she does bring Mm. up here too. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot, a lot in this chapter that, you know, of course, is, is her experience or her experiences um, during and after mm-hmm. and how she's had to deal with it even today.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's what I was, I mean, that's what I was thinking too, mm-hmm. like the whole time is that's one of the many strengths and power in this book of it being mm-hmm. written and people reading it is exactly what you were just saying Rena
1: Yeah, there's that line on 134. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel much else, but I wanted to. I wanted to feel a sense of relief or of pride for having come forward, but nothing really felt changed or fixed inside. This Mm -hmm. was after she talks about her first, um, well, Herman, who ended up getting fired and, you know, all this stuff, but didn't really. Mm -hmm. I mean, what happened to her still happened to her. Yeah. And so I think that's obviously like the most important thing like yeah well he got what he deserved like quote unquote but
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i really like the last paragraph in that as well so she mm-hmm. says justice didn't feel like it was served i'm still unsure what kind of punishment is the equivalent of leaving a mark on someone else's body and mind forever mm-hmm. Oof. i i yeah that line <laughs> um yeah because yeah he did get fired but He's going to find another job. Yeah, (laughs) and even with that, like, she still has to live with this experience and these memories, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. tough. So in dreams
1: is another shift. Um, She comes back to Dale here, and we learn about his visit in the ICU and how his family has kind of gone through that trauma before with his sister um, it's, it's really beautiful, beautifully written essay in her remembering their relationship as she's, you know, by his bed in the hospital mm-hmm. and there's not really, so she's kind of just remembering for him and um. trying to think of like what he's thinking and stuff. And of course, later we, we learn, you know, he gets a little bit better, but. Mm-hmm. He can't really speak. But what he does, what he is able to tell her is that he was dreaming about her while he was um bedridden. So it's it's just a really nice and and the chapter ends with that really beautiful photo of them mm-hmm. on 141. But all these moments where she's like, you know what? should I even be here? Like we broke up mm-hmm. a while back, like yeah. all, now it's um his family and a bunch of new friends. Like I don't even belong in the circle anymore, but all the while he, he was having this dream about her or dreaming about her, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's really kind of a romantic little memory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we can skip 14, 15. Those are pretty short. I think 14, she's talking about Goncha, but we get to her later. Right. Um, no, that is. Oh no, that's the yes. chapter. Okay, mm-hmm. so th- chapter fourteen is is, Goncha's um, chapter. Goncha. Um, I like the way that this one is structured because the whole mm-hmm. time she's like, you know, how do I talk about this woman? Because
4: mm-hmm.
1: they've given her that responsibility. Or they've asked her to write the obituary because she's a writer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she's just like that's a lot yeah. on my shoulders and and having to call and reaffirm like um details with her mom and different things, so it's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. for her. Um but I really so I really like that that the chapter we get her kind of grappling with it and feeling that pressure alongside her and then by the end of it of course we get that glimpse of her actual obituary Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: and um and then concha's mix which is what emily emily's contribution other than the obituary (laughs) is Mm -hmm. uh she created this mix with a bunch of songs is it like 20 songs that she gave out they handed out at the funeral burned cds for those of you who remember those
4: (laughs) a
3: mix within a mix (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) and that song's on there i'm your puppet your
3: pulpit i'm your puppet
1: pulpit hello pulpit
3: (laughs) that is a super insight joke
1: (laughs) (laughs) i forgot to start the podcast that way
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. hello puppets
1: hello puppets
0: Do you have anything to say about that chapter, Gontra's chapter? I, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but like the way that it's structured, she's like, how would I even write this? Like, who is this even for? And starting on like page 154, it's very much an obituary, in my opinion, um, Mm -hmm just a lot of different memories combined um what she liked to wear the kind of music she listened to who her friends were um her relationship with um I'm not sure if it's Jamie or Jaime um but him um and just like her relationship with the family as a whole um one of my favorite parts was the birthday cakes mm-hmm. Um, just like the amount of care that like she had for the family, even though she, because later on in this chapter, she also talks about how she wasn't always there for Christmas. Um, but like for birthdays, she would always make all of them their own cake. And I think that that's really special. And yeah. it's a good memory.
1: Yeah, it is. I like that she points out that it was reserved for, like, their generation. Like, the younger mm-hmm. generations mm-hmm. didn't get the special cakes from yeah. Concha. It was just them. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that because she's like, yeah, now we've moved on to, like, the the hipster places with the overpriced cakes <laughs> yeah. and with good Yelp reviews. But back then, Concha would take the time to make those mm-hmm. our cakes, so they yeah. were extra special.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about the how it just feels like an obituary Mm-hmm. starting on 154. And that's mm-hmm. the other question that I thought about after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, was this the actual obituary that you wrote for Hritya mm-hmm. Um, that you published in the book? I have a feeling. Yeah. I have a feeling it was. Um, and the way that she described her, you know, with her bare <laughs> faucet hair and her, Windbreakers and stuff, listening yeah. to oldies. And there's that great picture of her on 158 right above her her mix.
2: Mm-hmm. And some
1: great songs on there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I like this one. I feel like it's a really nice tribute to her. Um, even though, of course, she's always going to feel like I can't write anything that's going to live up to the person that she was. Mm. But that's just how it is. Tell it like it is. The title Perfect. <laughs> Perfect ending. Yeah. I need to find ways to, to do that <laughs> with every chapter.
3: <laughs> I'm going to add applause <laughs> at that point. <laughs> <sighs> do
1: we need one of those <laughs> soundboards.
3: <laughs> it's <laughs> like doing a live episode. can <laughs> laughter. <laughs> No, none of those. It's every time, no, that's every time I speak or say something.
1: <laughs> <up>. Not even. Crickets.
3: Oh, a lose confidence. Okay.
1: Whatever. You're like the epitome of like, <laughs> not that. <laughs> that well,
3: are derailing you know what the conversation. I know. <laughs> uh, you know my mean. bad. So.
1: <laughs> Just edit that out. It's okay.
3: Yeah, it's cool. We're like in an hour. So,
1: okay. You just have like a couple left. I think um, La Llorona is the one that we were talking about pre show. Mm-hmm. Um, the chapter with the tree in the house mm-hmm. in Aguinea.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. Which
1: is already just such a magical, like, image. Mm. That when I was reading it, I started thinking about workshop ideas for my students, even though I don't teach creative writing. (laughs) But I'm already like, my students are going to write something like this. Um, So I really like that image about the tree and about, she starts talking about um, ancestry. Is that in this chapter? She talks a little bit about um, how she has changed her, in her ideas of what body image is. And so I, I think this is where on page 164, um, where she really ties it back to the title of the book, The Funeral for Flaca. Mm-hmm. Um, cause she talks about all the people in Mexico, like all the family who have their apodos, their nicknames. Mm-hmm. Um, Chucho, Carlingas, Ticho, Toco. Canelo, gordo, chayote, chatilla, chata, concha, right? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's great. And yeah. she was the flaca.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then.
3: Mm-hmm. By the way, that sounds so great to read out loud. It reminds me of uh, <laughs> of Jose Olivares' Mexican Heaven when he lists <laughs> all the food.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you just,
3: it's uh, yes. off the tongue and just like, <laughs> yeah, all right, speak it. <laughs> My bad. Didn't mean you know
1: that. what? No, that that's a good point because. Um, on page 163, she talks about, no, I wrote this in my notes. The translation, maybe she did write about it here too. Yeah, she did. Um, so in that second paragraph, um, my puppy must have called me his flaca the first time he laid eyes on me, a slippery and noodly, 22 inches long, six pounds light. Skinny girl doesn't have the same ring to it, like so many other words that lose their poesy by way of translation. But his skinny girl, I was. Mm. Mm. So the note I made, because we're we're just finishing up Citizen Illegal in my 1302 classes, and we just watched the keynote that he gave um, Mm. (laughs) this year, I know. (laughs) So in there, um, in the keynote, he, just as an aside, he he talks about a new poem um, called something like, Mercedes prefers the word discoteca to club.
3: Yeah, you remember that yeah,
1: yeah. and um he, in his poem he uses the word ohala and then when he's talking about ohala which is a translation loosely translated to hopefully or God willing
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: um yeah. he says mm-hmm. I like ohala because it seems holy like God is is a little bit of uh like there's a little bit of God in the word mm-hmm. um and he talks about how words have different textures even if there's the same, translations um oh, or different great. translations mm-hmm. of one another so
3: is that the one where he opens like language like vision can become blurry from a distance or is that another one he read
1: i think that was a different
3: one damn okay because i <laughs> love that line <laughs> yeah too you know <laughs> yeah
1: i think that might have been a different one oh, but wow. okay. yeah when she was talking about i mean anytime i think or see anything about translation i remember that and what he mentioned mm-hmm. and, um yeah, so, you know, flaca, skinny girl, all those apodos. And and she does mention, like, I don't even remember when I lost it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I did not know when my own flaca was annulled, but maybe it was right after my 21st birthday. There was no coroner, grim reaper, who appeared after the scale passed a certain number, nor a memo sent from my father alerting me my nickname was dead.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... um in the next paragraph, she ties it back into the tree. So I I feel like there's a lot of, you know, that the connections made there. Like there's a reason why she included the image of, not just the image, but the actual tree from this house. Mm. And how it relates to her name Flaca. Because she had Flaca all the way up to this point. And then now the tree's gone. Like the family is kind of dispersed. And mm. her nickname is no longer there either. Right? hmm what is a name for a grief that creeps in after losing something mixed with the backdated, backdated guilt and shame of not really noticing? What is a nickname for a person who no longer embodies their name? What happens to a person who has become unrecognizable to some? What do we call a tree that's been severed from its roots? A person mm-hmm. who's been robbed of their identity. That's a really powerful way to like mm-hmm. close that section and just like come back to that Mm. theme of identity and how Mm. much names
0: are are tied to that
4: Mm
0: -hmm. or reliant on it i think it's especially powerful because i think it's later on in there that she mentions that the tree is no longer there so not only has she been separated from her roots so has this tree that Mm -hmm. has been there for like the, through the generations. Exactly,
2: yeah.
1: Anything mm-hmm. speaking of roots? Um, track 18, it's My Brown Skin. <laughs> mm. That's the one she read, I think. Casa Thank you.
0: She also read. Um, she track read a 16. Couple. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember, well, one of the lines. So. And I hope people get to hear it, but. Um, right. Where she says. Um, I could count the rings to tell you how old it is, but I can tell you instead that it was more than two embraces wide when I was seven years old.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I remember that line from when she read it. Yeah, said, same here. Yeah.
3: We mentioned it, yeah.
0: hmm And in
1: track 18, it's just talking about um ancestry.com and how much it like really messed with her self of Self identity, or you know, sense of self. Um, When she's talking about like, I I am indeed white, Mm. despite what I look like, and you know how. I love on on page one seventy one. She's really talking about here. Oh, how she has like more questions. Then answers mm. from those mm-hmm. DNA tests or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because all they give you are graphs and numbers and percentages. Mm. But I really like how she makes it... I don't want to say abstract because it's not abstract. But on page 171, she says, I want to know what language my abuela's abuela, my tatarabuela, spoke before her tongue was cut out. Which ancestors mm-hmm. represent the dirt that gathers behind my ears? Which ancestors represent the blood that pours from my left nostril?
3: Mm. That's poetry. It is, mm. right?
1: Yeah. And I don't know that it's really abstract. It's like she just... In fact, she's really wanting more specifics, right? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm 80% indigenous or whatever, but, you know, how does that tie in with my tatarahuela or their language or,
0: mm. you know? Yeah. I also like on that same page just a little bit before it um she wrote my DNA story screams you are created from centuries of colonization the backs of black and brown people are your stepping stone um and that's just like right after she talks about like the comparison of like what white people would get from ancestry.com um and yeah I think it's really tough to read that um just because like they're given, such concrete answers like oh my grandma was half Italian and she's she says she was just left with more questions like she doesn't really know what these percentages mean or like what that means to her own identity as she like has developed it right
1: yeah, because it it's really it really like what I said earlier, like it really messed with her mm-hmm. sense of self because she's grown up looking brown, being mm-hmm. brown, um, having to deal with, you know, discrimination, racism, and she comes to find out that <laughs> she's actually white, you mm-hmm. know, by blood. And mm-hmm. so that messes with you, right? It's like, well this is what this says, but I've actually experienced this. and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I actually feel that this is more me than what these numbers represent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas what, like you said, you know, those maybe other people might, might just be like, Oh, that's cute. Like, no wonder I like pasta because I'm half Italian. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Not really how that works. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it seems more like of an acute little afterthought, but this is, Learning this for her was, like, it just made her question more of who she was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about that last chapter? Closing up the book before the outro. I mean, the outro is just thank yous.
0: I just had one strong line that I wanted to point out, but it's on 181. I don't know if you have something before then. Um...
1: No, just, just to set up the chapter, it's it's like present time. And she's talking a lot about where she is presently,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like trying to heal from all the trauma that she's experienced that we've kind of been on this journey on with her from childhood
2: mm-hmm.
1: up until now. Um, and at this point in the, the track or the chapter is called Mad. Um, so we we do feel that, I think, tone-wise mm-hmm. in her receiving an email from Herman, right, mm-hmm. or Herman's people,
3: mm-hmm. wanting
1: to just, like, I don't know, bring back up her trauma um, for his sake, uh, which, of course, you know, no wonder she's mad. Mm. Um, but that's basically what this what this chapter is about. Um where's your line? You said 189 or 181. No.
0: Right, 181. Um, it's towards the middle of the page. Um it's yeah, it's a conversation with her mom that she's having. Um but it's a question that she also asked. Um, it says, is this something I'll live with forever? Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just such a strong line, in my opinion, because we've gone through all of this trauma that she's experienced that you kind of, like, brought to light again. Um, but, like, now she's reflecting on it and it's like, okay, when am I able to heal from this? And, like, when am I going to be able to not have to think about these experiences? Like, is this something that is going to remain with me? throughout the rest of my days and I, I don't know I really liked that line yeah that's where she talks about PTSD
4: mm-hmm. uh-huh.
1: right so where, you know bipolar disorder one she had the eating disorder she's lived through sexual assault and now because of this email that kind of brought back these emotions Mm -hmm. for her, she finds out that she also has PTSD. So it's like, you know, it's, it's only natural for her to ask that question Mm -hmm. and to want to know if this is something that's just going to keep going, um, Mm -hmm. that she'll keep struggling with as with a lot of people dealing with any kind of trauma or, or any kind of mental health issues. Mm Right. Right. I like um, later in that same page when her mom, she says, my mom surprises me with her compassion. Some brains are just wired differently, she says. It's just random. Some are stronger, different, I whisper, not strong or weak, mm. um, which I think is important too, right? Because it's like always like, well, you're strong, you just do this or just do that. Like it's mm-hmm. easy for people to. Kind of offer that mm-hmm. sort of advice, not having gone through it or not understanding it. Um, and Emily does talk a little bit about this in the interview,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: upcoming, forthcoming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it doesn't look the same for every person, right? And I think we've mentioned that, like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so she she highlights that here: different, not strong or weak, just different. I like um, also just on page 182, just ending this whole section talking about healing. Uh, I'm realizing my 20s have been about surviving. I'm starting to realize my 30s can be about healing.
4: Mm.
1: And so like mm. that's where where we are.
0: Yeah. I also like a line right before. Sorry. Go ahead. Just, <laughs> just one more line. <laughs> um, right before that, um, I think healing involves picking at scabs and t- sometimes turning scars back into scabs so that they can become smaller. I think that that's a pretty strong line as well. Just like reflecting on the traumas that you have um, in order to, in a sense, also make them smaller to like heal from them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that that's a really powerful way of wording it the line after that and then
3: (laughs) says it's like uh, you're playing that one game where you
1: (laughs) no because i think it's it's true yeah i'm glad you brought that up vanessa Uh, she says i think healing might mean turning over the truth and rewriting our memories i hope healing doesn't mean my erasure Hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that's like what she's been doing in this book Mm -hmm. right like turning over the truth and rewriting our memories that's what she's been doing, right? Like the yeah. whole time. I don't know if I'm remembering this right, but I'm mm-hmm. going to tell it how I remember it. Yeah. And so she's she's doing that with her memory in this book, but she's also putting her story out there so mm-hmm. that she doesn't get forgotten or erased. And she has been through all of these mm-hmm. things. I don't know. That's how I see it. Yeah. <laughs> Richie, do you want to talk about that last, last, last five lines, monarca, monarcas?
3: This is this pressure A little here. poem.
4: <laughs>
3: <clears throat> I mean, it's great. I think it it's just going back to her, her poetic sensibilities, I think, even with uh, hoping that this offers us nectar, right? Mm-hmm. This uh, monarcas molt five times before burrowing into their cocoons. I wish I knew had. I wish I knew I'd had my last bite of milkweed. I think forgiveness may be the final shedding. I think I'm still stuck in chrysalis. I know the straw flowers are waiting. It's a nice um, end to it, right? Because there's still more ahead, right? And then uh, like any playlist, you have an outro and just a great, great way of giving thanks. And speaking of thanks, I know we'd like to give thanks to our listeners who (laughs) Participate. Who listen? You know, every time we post out a new episode, mm-hmm. and and tune with us to you know, regardless of book and and so on. This time we did have an interactive aspect of the show in which we mm. did ask people to to submit their 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 own songs, right? The yeah. soundtrack of your lives, right? Or um, <laughs> something
4: and, like that. <laughs> and so what we did is,
3: yeah. Do you want to explain what what you ended up doing, Vanessa?
0: Yeah. So Spotify now allows you to create polls on podcast episodes. So we have that open still um, on episode one for Funeral for (laughs) Flacca. So you can go in and post five songs that you feel define you. And at the end of that, we're kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Combine? What's a better word for combine?
3: (laughs) combined sounds perfect for me synthesizing
0: i don't know know. (laughs) um we put all of those songs into a playlist on spotify as well um that we will be posting the link to um the playlist curating (sighs) is that it yes that's that's the one that's the one i was thinking of (laughs) curating okay
3: <laughs> insert applause effect.
1: get a
0: soundboard
3: dude we
0: need one
3: <laughs> <laughs> what's up with those grands? <laughs> uh, no no
0: i'm working on it
3: <laughs> we're sponsors you know, what I'm saying. know the- <laughs> so where can we find this playlist what's up
0: yeah okay so it's on spotify we'll be sharing that link with y'all and um if you not can you still can add right to the to yeah. the poll Mm-hmm. you can still add songs to the poll and um the playlist name is songs that define us um i'm debating making it um collaborative i think that that's also an option that we're going to look into yeah
3: that'
0: would be cool yeah you can just add songs if <laughs> so you try to add like. songs
3: and it's it's possible then we decided yes <laughs>
0: it's like hours and hours and hours right. and hours oh. of that's so, so cool, this, I don't that know. That would
3: be, be cool, yeah. Be eclectic <laughs> as hell.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's already very diverse, I think. True, true. But it's mm-hmm. it's very cool. Yeah. Cool. I'm stoked. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Literally Literary, brought to you by Border Senses and Power at the Pass. This episode, we talked about the second half of the collection, Funeral for Flacca. Stay tuned for our next episode where we interview Emily herself. If you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallylitep.